Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. Hey folks. Hello. Great to be with you. Uh, what, what a privilege and joy to be here. Um, you've got a great church here and what a legacy. Just, just chatting there, 37 years this church has launched. You guys have set up what an amazing foundation and I know there's a whole new generation rising up and uh, I just, I really I believe in this church. Uh, just during the worship, I, I, was, I was praying, God bless this church bless this people. And the church isn't this place, it's, it's, it's this people, it's this vision, it's this heart. And, um, and I heard God say, do, do you believe, what, what are you believing for here? And I said, God, I believe for you to succeed here. I, be, I believe in this church. I believe in it. And I heard God say, I really believe in it too. <laughs> I really do. I think, I think God really believes in this, this thing called Divine Church Dunfermline. And uh, best days are ahead for you guys. It really is a privilege to speak to you, and me and Aaron, used to, we used to meet up on a regular basis and pray as students, so we would catch up and have a good hour praying and calling on God for the nation, and I remember hearing Aaron was telling me that, oh yeah, uh, my dad's got this old lemonade factory, and he's doing it up, so uh, here we are in the lemonade factory. Not much lemonade around, but uh, it's great to be here. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you that you're among us just now. Thank you for your love for each and every person here God, whether this is their first time at church or whether this is their umpteenth time, I thank you that you love every person and you know them better than they even know themselves. God, I pray as we take these moments to just dig into the Bible and look at some great things, I pray that you would speak to us. And God, if anyone here today is far from you, I pray in your love they would come close to you. Let them feel your very presence. Lord, we love you. Come Holy Spirit, have your way among us. Help me to speak. Help us to hear, in Jesus' name, amen. So there was a, a blind guy, and uh, he arrived in Texas, and he, was, he had to kind of make his way down the airplane, down the, the steps from the airplane, and then he was met by a chauffeur, and he was hel- helped into the back of this car, and he, as he sat in the car and felt the seat, he thought, wow, this is a huge car. And he said, this is a huge car. And the, and the, the taxi driver said, yep, everything's big in Texas. And then he, he drove him to his hotel. And when he got to his hotel, it felt like he, we went through the front door and he, he, was, he, he walked for so f- long until he eventually felt his way to the reception. Said, that's a, he said to the receptionist, that's a huge foyer. I said, yeah, everything's big in Texas. And, uh, and so after he checked in, he said, I, I really could do with a cup of coffee. So she said, all right, just, and you're going to have to, and she, she's going to point him in the right direction and he's blind. So he makes his way over to the, the little, it, hotel cafe and he orders a cappuccino and he gets this massive mug of cappuccino absolutely massive he said this is a huge mug of cappuccino and the the barista said oh yeah everything's big in texas and then after the cappuccino he really needed a pee so he said uh, where's the toilet and they said okay you gotta go down this corridor and they kind of helped him in the right direction he said down that corridor it's the second uh, sorry the third door on the left now, don't go to the second door on your left, because that's the, that's the swimming pool. Just keep going, second, third door on your left. So the guy's working his way along. And anyway, he took the wrong door. He went into the, he walked into the swimming pool, and he, he literally stepped right into the swimming pool. Splash! And he goes, oh no, don't flash! Don't flash! 
one of the things we all love about Americans is love their big thinking, love their big mindset. They, they expect big things, right? They're kind of, uh, they're optimistic all the time. They think big. I, I love that kind of spirit in the Americans. Uh, but actually, that's sadly absent among Christians uh, in the UK. We, we're always hearing the, the, new, the, the doom and gloom news of the decline of the church. And as a result, many people are thinking small thoughts about the local church. Uh, and I, I grew up in that kind of environment where we aren't thinking many big thoughts about the church. I was dragged along to church as a kid. I, I believed that God was there, but he, he didn't really mean much to me until I was 15. And God got a hold of my life when I was 15. I, I put my trust in Jesus who died for me and rose again, and I was saved, changed. And that was the, my turning point when I was 15 years old. And I started reading the Bible. And as I started reading the Bible, I, I I was still going to the little church I grew up in in, the, in my little village near Glasgow. But as I was reading the Bible, God started painting in the canvas of my soul a very different picture of what God intends to do in our era. And it was very different to what I was seeing around me. And uh, it was a very exciting picture. And here's what I want to do with you folks today. Um, I want to take you to one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And I want, with God's help, to maybe unpack for you some of the the vision that God shared with me, even in my teenage years. And, you know, when I was 21, I moved to Edinburgh to start Destiny Church in Edinburgh. I've been there, I'm 41 now, I've been there, this is coming up for 20 years. And the vision has helped me through, this vision of what God wants to do has helped me through the, the hard times and the good times of church life, and there are both. Um, and I want to share that vision with you today, because this is what God wants for our generation. This is in Daniel chapter 2. But before we turn there, let me give you some context. Daniel was written about a few hundred years before Christ, 600 years before Christ. Uh, this empire called the Babylonian Empire, this world superpower under the leadership of a man called Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most mentioned pagan king in the Old Testament. He led Babylon to conquer and defeat many nations, but one of them was Judah and Israel. And Judah was ransacked, Jerusalem was destroyed, and those who survived that attack were taken in exile as prisoners uh, to Babylon itself. Daniel was one of those exiles. It's amazing. Here's Daniel, an exile, a foreigner in a foreign land, and yet he outlasts five of the kings, Nebuchadnezzar and four others. And he brings two of the heathen kings to faith in the true gods. And he makes the worship of the living God's law in the foreign lands. Daniel influenced. And this is Daniel chapter 2. And this is a vision that Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, had. And Daniel brings an interpretation. Let me read you the text. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this is him in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second years of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now, this intimidating king was now intimidated. He had seen something in his dreams that shook him up. Then the king gave orders to call the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream in my spirit, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and then we will declare the interpretation. But the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made rubbish heaps 
And if you declare to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive gifts from me and a reward and great honor. He really knew how to motivate his staff. <laughs> you know? That's a pretty tall order. Or he had this dream and he's saying, tell me the interpretation, but you need to tell me the dream first. Wow. He knew the dream was so significant. He knew it was so significant. He'd seen something in his dream. He didn't want to risk some kind of pseudo-spiritual, vaguely plausible kind of religious answer that they may have come up with that would kind of fobbed him off and got them off their case. He wanted to know, if, I want to know you can really interpret it by, first of all, telling me the dream in the first place. God speaks through dreams. Remember, way back in her student years, my mum died in 96. She, she was part of Covenant Life with us back in Glasgow as well. And the week before mum died, God gave me a word for mum. And it was, from, it was from Kings, the book of, I think it was First Kings, where this lady's going through a really hard time and everything's going wrong and, and the servant says to her, is everything okay? And she, and she makes this confession, all will be well. And then a little bit further on, her husband stopped her and said, is everything okay? And she made this confession, all will be well. And that verse jumped out of the pages of the Bible on the last week of my mom's life. And I said to mom, mom, I, I know things look bad here, but I believe God says to you that all will be well. And mom passed away on the Sunday night and the Wednesday night was her funeral, on the Wednesday was the funeral. And on the Thursday morning, I got a phone call from Tim Brown. You remember Tim Brown? Tim is now down leading a church in Newcastle. And Tim phoned me on the Thursday morning and said, Peter, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, I met your mum. And she told me to tell you that all is well. Wow. Wow. I believe in heaven. I believe in eternity. I believe when you trust Jesus as your savior, you have eternal life. From that point on into eternity. It's a reality. God speaks through dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar had the dream from God, and none of the magicians or conjurers or the sorcerers or the voodoo guys could give him any answers. And, and so the king said, okay, enough's enough. And he, just, he decided, you're all going to be put to death. Anyway, as that edict went out, Daniel and his friends heard about the king's command to kill all the wise men. And they said to the king's um, military leader, give us a moment, we need to ask God for help. And Daniel and his three friends prayed, and that same night, Daniel got the same dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and the next morning, he is rushed into the king's presence to tell him the dream. And let's pick up from there, verse 28. And this is what the king hears. Daniel says to the king, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. Say latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. Verse 31. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue was large and of extraordinary splendor. It was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. I think he was from the 90s or something. Uh, awesome. And then, that was a joke. Anyway, move on. Verse 32. And the head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver and its belly and thighs of bronze its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone that was cut out without hands and it struck the statue of its feet of iron and clay and it crushed them. And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed. All at the same time, it became like chaff on the summer's threshing floors and the wind carried them away so not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain 
and filled the whole earth. Read that last bit with me. One, two, three, together. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now you imagine you were this king. You're King Nebuchadnezzar. You're one of the most fearsome individuals on planet earth. You're sitting on a throne. Before you is brought a Jewish slave. And he now describes to you the dream you just had. He's blown away. He's gripping onto the edge of his throne. He knows this is the real deal. He knows this is a, a divine moment. And then Daniel gives him the interpretation. He describes the dream, and for the sake of time, we will not read all the verses. You can read the chapter yourself. But Daniel goes on to give the interpretation. He says, this statue, Daniel said, represented four kingdoms. Here's, here's a picture of, of what the statue may have looked like. This statue represented four kingdoms. And the first kingdom, uh, the head of gold, is your kingdom. And that's what we know historically. This is the Babylonian Empire. And that Babylonian Empire lasted 86 years from 625 to 539 BC. And it's, what's amazing with the book of Daniel in this chapter, but all the, all the book of Daniel, to be honest, is some prophetic books like the book of Revelation is often speaking about things that are in our future. But the book of Daniel, yes, it speaks about things that are in our future, but it also predicts a lot of things that were in our past. And you can get your history book out and the book of Daniel, and you can think, wow, it, it, it describes mind-blowing accuracy what took place in our history, but in these people's future. Incredible. It really is an authenticating factor to the Bible. So here Daniel says, okay, this first, em, first the head represents, the head of gold represents the Babylonian empire, and then there'll be another kingdom after you, and th th this represents the Medes and the Persians. Again, history shows that the Babylonians were overthrown, the Medes and the Persians arose. They lasted 208 years. And then there was the Greek empire with Alexander the Great, and it lasted 268 years. And then after the Greek empire was the Roman empire, and it lasted 539 years. And what's interesting, before we get into the big point I want to make, is the little subtle subpoints in the prophetic scriptures. It's amazing. Notice that as you go down from each of the parts of the statue, it, there is a, a decreasing value of metal. Gold is more expensive than silver, and silver is more expensive than bronze, and bronze is more expensive than iron. And so too it was the case historically that the values of each of these empires became less as, as each empire overthrew the previous one to the point where the Roman Empire was utterly corrupt. But actually, the Babylonian Empire had very high values, so the value reduced. But also, with each of these metals, notice that each metal becomes harder. Gold is soft. Uh, silver is a bit tougher. Bronze is even tougher, and iron is absolutely solid. Well, so it is also the case that each kingdom progressively lasted longer, became tougher. So it's an amazing multifaceted nature to this incredible prophetic scripture. But here's the bit that I want us to focus on. This statue which that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream and Daniel told him these represent four kingdoms that will be on planet earth and history tells us that was absolutely the case. The, the statue, the, vi the vision changed because in the midst of seeing the dominating influence of these dominating, intimidating world empires, all of a sudden, almost unintimidatingly, a little stone comes cut out of the mountain without human hands. And, and the verse we read, verse 35 says, the stone that struck the statue and destroyed the statue, and all of a sudden the statue is nowhere. I mean, where is the Roman Empire now, right? But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the question I want to ask is this, well, who or what is the stone? And I believe the stone represents a man and a movement. First of all, the stone represents a man at the time of the Roman Empire, 
2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, was the birth of the most famous person who's ever lived in all history. He was born to a virgin. That's why the Bible in the, in the vision says that it, it was a stone that was cut out of the mountain without human hands. This was not the work of man. This was divine intervention. He was born to a virgin. His dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. His mother, Mary, was a teenage girl, probably 13 to 17 years old. He was born in a stable and laid in an animal's feeding trough. His credentials are rather simple at first glance. He never traveled more than 200 miles away from home, never received a formal education, never went to college, never wrote any books or any articles, never wrote any songs. And yet more songs are sung about him, more books are written about him, more articles describing him. He's, 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 he's furnished the theme of more paintings and poems than any other person who's ever lived. His life on earth only lasted a brief 33 years. And actually, his teaching only lasted three years. And yet, in three years, he has impacted the world more than any other orator or teacher or educator has even given their entire lifespan. Jesus Christ has impacted this world. His, world, his words are held in high regard. And today, his biography, or you could say autobiography, the Bible, is the world's all-time bestseller every year. His teaching has inspired healthcare systems, education, orphanages, the abolition of slavery. His, his, his teaching has, you, you don't get many atheist aid organizations. Don't know if you've noticed that. But the vast majority of aid organizations are based on the teachings of this man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is a liberator. His teaching bears phenomenal fruit on planet earth. And at the end of his three years, he died on a cross. When he came, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament in his first coming alone. And all of human history dates to his birthday, A.D., B.C. And today, one-third of the world's population would say that they are followers of this Jesus or believers in this Jesus. But at the end of three years, Jesus Christ died on a cross. And yet this was the plan of God. It was God's plan for redeeming humanity, that one man would die for all people, the one who was sinless would die for sinners as our substitute. You know, coming across the Dunfermline today, I was coming across the, the road bridge, and we've got three bridges now. And actually, three bridges represent three centuries, a bridge each century. And the reason that we needed to build a second bridge after the rail bridge is because th people started getting cars. And so the rail bridge was no longer sufficient. So we need to have another bridge. And now that everyone's got too many cars <laughs> and they keep getting blown off the bridge and all that stuff, we decide, okay, we need another bridge. So we're now building the third bridge because the previous road bridge wasn't sufficient for the demands that were been placed on it. And so we've had three different bridges in three different centuries. But 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, it was absolutely sufficient for any demands that were placed upon it. The cross acts as a bridge linking heaven to earth. As Jesus died on the cross, he died to link you back into relationship with God. And 2,000 years have passed, and the demands have increased on planet earth. Sin has got worse. Things have got bad. But you need to understand that the cross is utterly sufficient at bridging that link. 
that you are far from God today, you might think, wow, you have no idea how many sins I've committed, how many things I've, I've done stuff, I regret stuff. You need to understand that the cross is well able to cope with anything you've done, that God's love, God's grace, God's radical love displayed in that cross can cleanse every sin you've committed and give you eternal life. It, today, that can be your experience. And today, if you don't know God's, he knows you and he loves you. And today, if you don't know God's, at the end of this moment, at the end of me sharing here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make the biggest and best decision of your life, to cross that line, to put your faith in the God who gave you life in the first place. Jesus died for you. That's how much God loves you. When I think of the cross, I realize I am more sinful than I ever imagined. I'm so sinful, it took the death of the Son of God to take away my sin. But then I also realized simultaneously, I am more loved than I ever dare hope. That God loved me that radically. That he was willing to give everything to save me from my sin and give me eternal life. You're so sinful, me too, and we are so loved. So don't resist them any. Don't, why, why do you want to live one more day without God in your life? Cross the line today. Put your trust in Jesus. And the great thing is, on the third day, he resurrected. <laughs> he resurrected. He came into this world through a door marked no entrance, the virgin's womb. And he exited this world through a door marked no exit, an empty tomb. Jesus Christ was the stone that was without hands. Miraculous beginning, miraculous ending, and Jesus Christ all the way through, miraculous. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive right now, and he's here by his spirit. That's why you feel so good in this place. He's here. and he, Let's hear it for Jesus Christ. He's pretty amazing. So the stone, the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I think the stone, first of all, represents a man. At the time of the Roman Empire, Jesus came and everything has changed because of Jesus. What we call civilization only exists because of the teachings of Jesus. Fact. He's a man, but also it's the movement he began, this great movement that Jesus began. It says, let's read the verse again. The stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This movement that Jesus birthed, this thing called the kingdom of God, this thing called the church that was birthed 2,000 years ago is destined to do something. According to the Bible, the stone that struck the statue is destined to become a great mountain, a great mountain and fill the whole earth. So you think, well, well when's that going to happen? Well, we read it in the verses. Did you not remember? Remember, it says, when did it say? In the latter days. Do you remember that? We saw that in the verses. When, is, when are the latter days? Well, the latter days are the, is the era that we're living in. The latter days began in the book of Acts and will continue until the return of Jesus, whenever that is. We are living in this era called the latter days, so here, here's the deal. And I, I remember reading this as a 19-year-old for the first time, and my, my jaw dropped my jaw dropped. I suddenly realized, you're saying that in this era, the stone that struck the statue is going to become a great mountain. This movement, this thing called the church, is going to become the biggest thing, like a great mountain filling this earth. It blew me away, because that's not what I'd seen. I'd grown up in a church environment that was retreating and small, and not growing, and not experiencing uh, th th this expansion that I was seeing described to me here in Scripture. It says it in lots of places, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it will come about in the last days, that's now, 
to the mountain of the house of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord? Well, that's where God lives. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. We're God's house. God dwells among us. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. All of a sudden, I realized and that God wants something great from his church, that God has a great destiny for the people of God, that actually the biggest thing in planet earth prior to the return of Jesus will be the church of Jesus Christ. Now, not everyone will be saved. I don't believe that, but I do believe you won't be able to miss it. Like a mountain on everyone's horizon, you will not be able to miss it. Some will love it. Some will hate it. Everyone will be impacted by it. The poor will be transformed by it. People will hear the life-giving message of God through it. Miraculous healings will take place through it. It's, it is God's local church. There is nothing on earth that will bring transformation. We are the vehicle through which his kingdom comes. It is nothing on earth that will bring more transformation on earth more than alive, God-glorifying, spirit-filled, Bible-based, disciple-making, God-glorifying local churches. Nothing else. Anyone agree with me today? Give me, give me an amen if you agree. I believe in the local church. And the church got birthed like a little stone, like a little insignificant thing. I mean, I mean, the Roman Empire was huge. And then there's this tiny little thing, 120 people gathered on the day of Pentecost. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came. And boom, 3,000 people were added. And then boom, 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 all the way through the book of Acts. Grew rapidly. It grew to about 32,000 people in Jerusalem, which at the time, the population of Jerusalem was about 60,000 people grew to half the population of Jerusalem. And then persecution came and, they, and they, they started running for their lives, but actually planting churches. And then over the 30 year span of the book of Acts, it is estimated that the, the church went from 120 people to about 10, 000, sorry, 100,000 people among the Jewish community alone, let alone the Gentile believers, which may have been many times more than that. That's in the first century. By the fourth century, 50% of the people living in the Roman Empire were part of this thing called the church. By the 5th century, Patrick heads for Ireland. He sees in 30 years 700 churches planted, 3,000 leaders trained. He brought an end to slavery in Ireland. And every year people celebrate this by wearing green and getting smashed. That's appropriate. 6th <laughs> century, Gregory the Great sends Augustine and a team to England. And within one year they'd baptized 10,000 people. 7th century, first Christians arrive as missionaries in China. 13th century, the Bible is now available in 2,200 languages. 16th century, Martin Luther pins his 95 theses to the door and thus begins the fires of the Reformation all around Europe. In the 18th century, there was the first, the, the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement with the Moravians. And the Moravians were amazing. Over a course of 30 years, they sent hundreds of missionaries out around the world. These guys were radical. Some of them, this is how radical they were. Some of them even sold themselves to be slaves in order to reach slaves with the gospel. That's radical church planting, the Moravians. In the 18th century as well was John and Charles Wesley and the reformers like Whitfield. They preached up and down the length and breadth of Britain and beyonds. And secular historians will tell you that through the influence of these preachers, John and Charles Wesley that Britain was diverted from what happened in France, the French Revolution, that the impact was so much that it literally changed the United Kingdom. William Carey went to India in the 18th century, founded the Baptist Missionary Society, planted churches, translated the Bible into six languages. Hundreds, hundreds schools for all castes were established. He, brought, he started the first college in Asia 
and he stopped the terrible practice of widow burning. 20th century. 20th century saw the greatest growth and more martyrdoms than any other century before that. It started with 1904 Welsh revival, and in a two-year period, 100,000 people came to faith in Wales. Then 1906 was the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and birthed Pentecostal churches, and the whole charismatic Pentecostal thing we're part of today. And you know that today, one in 14 people on planet Earth, one in 14 people, over 500 million people would call themselves Pentecostal charismatic believers. One in 14 people on earth are part of churches like this one. And then there was Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke and other great evangelists who saw millions come to faith in the, 19th, in, in the 20th century. In Seoul, Korea, first church reached a one million mark with its members under the leadership of David Yonggi Cho. And uh, in Korea, it went from 0% Christian to 40 to 50% Christian in a 100-year period. In Africa, hot on the heels of Korea, it wasn't long before two or three churches started hitting the one million mark in individual congregations. And Africa, in, in a 100-year period, went from 9% Christian to 50% Christian. The underground church in the last century has been growing at a rate. The underground church under the, under the communist leadership in the last few decades has been growing rapidly at 25,000 decisions a day for Jesus. As we, as we approach the, the t- turn of the millennia, this is what the world looked like in 1974. Um, approximately half of the, the world was beyond the reach of the local church. Within 25 years or so, by the time the millennia came, it had changed to the point where it was divided in thirds. One third would call themselves Christian. One thirds would call themselves non-Christian in areas beyond the reach of the church. And one third would call themselves Christian in an area that was currently actively being reached by the church. So ground is being taken, considerable ground is being taken. And as we move into the 21st century, here we're seeing some of the greatest things happening, miracle movements happening. We're seeing en masse large-scale conversions from Islam to Christianity. In 2003, church leaders from around the, 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 Eastern, the, the Middle Eastern and Central Eastern Asia area gathered in Jordan and unanimously reported that between 80 and 90% of people who are turning from Islam to Christianity are having personal visions of Jesus. Great things are happening in our world. According to Barrett and Johnson, every day, 100,000 people decide to follow Jesus. Today, we have 100,000 new brothers and sisters. And every week on planet Earth, there are 4,500 new churches established. It's pretty good going. And if you were a gambler, right, seriously, 2,000 years ago, if you were a gambler, and you were to bet on what's going to do well in the next two millennia, would you have bet on the Roman Empire with its legions and its Caesars and its architecture and its infrastructure and all its backing? Or a kind of blonde hippie with flip-flops and a motley crew that kind of followed him? Which one is going to do well over the next 2,000 years? And here we are 2,000 years later. And we're calling our kids Peter, Mary, and John. And we're calling our dogs Nero and Caesar. (laughs) Jesus won. (laughs) The stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The stone is a man and a movement, and we're part of the greatest thing on planet earth. And I believe the great mountain can fill the earth in every locality. The great mountain wants to fill the earth in Dunfermline and the kingdom of Fife. This is just the early days for the vine. The best days are ahead. 
God wants to fill this whole region with the impact of what God's going to do in and through you precious people. Do you believe that? So there's three applications just as we close. Three things, I think, how can we ground that in a reality that somehow you can live in? First thing is this. Number one, change your view of church. Change your view of church. Have a big vision of church. Many people in the culture we're living in treat churches like restaurants. You know, they're looking for good customer service. And if they don't get it there, they'll go to the next one. And if they don't get it there, they'll go to the next one. And we're living in days of great opportunity, but also great immaturity. We have a plethora of opportunities where there's God TV and then there's conferences and then there's lots of churches and, and the great opportunity and yet great immaturity and people are just jumping around and not putting their roots down. I, I love chatting to some people today, some of you folks, you say, how long have you been in the vines? I've been here 20 years. Yay. I love that. 17 years. Just been planted in this church for six years. I love that. I, this, you can't be, it's pretty old school, but you can't be long-term commitment to one local church just building towards one vision for generations. God can use a people like that. Best days are ahead. Planted in the local church. You see, in the Old Testament, you only had one church. It was in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, there was only one per city. Paul didn't write to the churches in Corinth. He said, to the church at Corinth. And in those days, there was only one way, only, only three ways out of the church. Either you were kicked out right, excommunicated, and you didn't go to the other one because there was no other ones. You repented and came back. Or you were sent out as a missionary, or you were carried out dead. <laughs> Read Acts. And you have so many people today, and this, this upsets me, and it upsets the heart of God, where you, you could go in the streets of Dunfermline today, and you could say, so where are you at with the whole God thing? And they, I th- let me say you'd get this kind of answer a lot. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, cool. What church do you go to? Well, I love God and Jesus and that, but church, not so sure about. You see, technically, you can be a Christian without going to church. Technically. But you cannot live the Christian life without the local church. There's something about what happens when people are in the community of God's people that transforms you. Even the ones that wind you up. Right? Even the ones that wind you up the wrong way. Even when the offense comes and you want to quit, but you don't quit. And it changes you and you become more like Jesus. It's gritty. It's old school. I love it. But God uses this community called the local church to build our lives. Let's hear it for the local church. So stop dating churches. Time to commit to one. (laughs) Amen. So don't bitch about your church. Don't criticize other churches. Serve in your church. Give in your church. Root into your church. Speak well of your leaders. Ah, but the church hurt me. It's full of hypocrites. Well, the world's full of hypocrites. No option. I mean, go to Mars. But the world, if you go to the bowling club, they're full of hypocrites. Of course, everywhere's full of hypocrites. People are going to hurt you. But don't quit on what Jesus doesn't quit on. Don't condemn what Jesus died to justify. Don't put down what Jesus died to build up. Jesus loves the church. He calls it his bride. You know, Jesus calls the church his bride. He's the head of the church, and the church is his bride. You know, imagine I said to my wife, honey, I like your head, I just don't like your body. That's, that so wouldn't go down well. That so wouldn't go down well. What? I like your head, just don't like your body. That's what it's like. Oh, I like Jesus, just don't like the church. What? You're going to slap. 
Yeah, and here's, here's the truth. You hurt the church, you're hurting Jesus. What did Jesus say to Saul on the Damascus Road? Acts 9 verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is Saul persecuting? The local church. You hurt the church. You bitch about the church. You criticize leaders. You're doing it against Jesus. Love the church. Love your church and love the church. And you, and you love the church. You're loving Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of the least of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. When you just love someone in the local church, you're loving Jesus. So change your mind about church. Number two, think big, act small. Think global, act local. God thinking big acted small. Jesus was born. Changed the world. Think big, act small. I was thinking big and acting small when I moved to Edinburgh to start the church. Just me and Angie. First guy to come along was called Bill. He had long hair and a beard. He looked just like Jesus. We figured if you're going to start a church, if you can get a guy who looks just like Jesus, it's got to be a great start. So honestly, it was just for the first year, we had a huge attendance of about five people. Next year, it grew. Oh boy, we had eight. It took us four years to get to 30 people. It was pretty unimpressive. What kept me going through those times of smallness? Well, it was a bigness on the inside. Thinking big, acting small, hold on to vision. And you know what? Every one of you is called to act small. Think big, but act small. Every one of you is called to do one thing. You know what we're all called to do? Make disciples. Every one of you is called to make disciples. And it's so important. Just uh, last week, I was out in the streets with a couple of others, and I went up to a guy, a Polish guy, and I said to him, I introduced myself, and I asked him, if you were to die today, are you certain, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that you go to be with God forever? And he burst into tears. And then he went on to tell me that he planned to take his life that day. And he'd given up his house, he'd got rid of his phone, and then he pulled out of his pocket some, some blades that he had. And he, he was not planning on living beyond that day. So that question, if you were to die today, was a very pertinent question. Then he went on to tell me how, how he's done so many bad things. And he said, where I grew up in Poland, they told me the kind of stuff I've done can never be forgiven. So I was able to tell him about the greatness of the cross and how, how robust that answer is for your sins. And how you can be completely forgiven and how you can know God. And he gave his life to Jesus right there in the streets. We're all called, and I went out so nervous to share the gospel that day. I never feel confident to do these things. Not one of us do. It's out of our comfort zone. But all of us are called to make disciples in different ways, but all of us are called to make disciples. I had a story last week. I loved it. A lady who, who turned up in a burqa um, to our Good Friday service a couple of, two years ago, and she gave her life to Jesus that, that's, that Friday evening. She became a believer. And if she was out on the streets two weeks ago, and she prayed with a lady whose son had a, a brain tumor. And that lady came back to church last Sunday and said, we've just had a scan and the brain tumor has disappeared. <laughs> wow, wow. And I, I love that, I love that. Now we've got a healing evangelist with us this weekend, but that's not the healing evangelist. This is Zainab, who used to be a Muslim. She got saved, now she's making disciples. Disciple making is a process, but it starts with the lost and then it continues on into maturity. All of us are called to do that. And the third thing I want to say to you in closing is this be wholly dependent on God's Spirit. You see,
The Bible says that the statue represented the kingdoms of man. It was man-made structures. But what God did, the stone that was cut out, the Bible says it was without human hands. Without human hands. It was God's work. And God wants to do a work. In the book of Acts, how did the church grow? People waited on God. They prayed. God gave them boldness. Miracles happened or something happened. Church grew. Then they waited on God again. God gave them an idea. And then the church grew. It's just this journey of depending on God. And as you go into your great future, Vine Church, God wants, he's got ideas, fresh ideas, fresh anointings, fresh things that he's going to open up for you guys. The, the dream that you've all been living for and believing in for the last 37 years is current. It is on track. A foundation is solidly laid. And this is a great generation to be part of. Great things are ahead for the Vine Church. I believe that. Be holy dependent on God's Spirit. And maybe today, I, one of the things I would say is maybe you're, you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit as a believer. And you can't do this thing making disciples. You can't, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hasn't come to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit has come to make the stone become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. And He wants, to, he wants you to be an empowered bunch of believers. So it might be today you've never been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end, over to this side, would it be? Over this side here, there'll be some leaders available at the end of the worship who you can get prayed for to have that experience. Let me pray for you guys. I, I believe, I really believe that God has a destiny for the local church and God has a destiny for each one of you as part of it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for everyone in this room. God, thank you for the great plan that you have for the Vine Church. Thank you, you believe in it. And thank you, God, you've got a great, rich destiny ahead for them. God, thank you for what you started in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you instigated and initiated in planet Earth. And thank you that the best days are ahead for the local church. God, I pray in particular, God, for anyone here today who doesn't yet know you, that today they would make the greatest decision of their life to put their trust in Jesus who died for them and rose again. Give them the courage to do that. Okay, each one of you in God's presence, why not just take a moment, pray back your own response to God. I've talked about lots of things, we've touched on lots of verses. Why don't you just take a moment in God's presence just to make your own response in your own way. Make some decisions. Make some commitments. And while people are praying, let me give you a specific opportunity. Today, if you're here and you've never yet put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, I would love the privilege of helping you to do that. Or it might be for whatever reason you've you maybe had some sort of faith in the past, but you'd walked away and today you're here and today God is calling you to come back to him. But if you're in either of those categories, I want to help you connect with God just now. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to know God, pray this prayer with me, just one line at a time. I'll say it and you repeat it after me, just under your breath. This is between you and God. So under your breath, just repeat this prayer. Say, dear Lord God, Thank you for your love for me. 
Jesus, thank you. You were willing to die in my place on the cross. So I could be forgiven. Have a new life. And a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you. You rose from the dead and you're alive right now. Today, I make a decision. I choose to leave going my own way and I choose instead to go your way in life. Today I put my faith in Jesus. I'd completely trust you to be my savior. And I commit myself to following you. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Keep your eyes closed. If you're here and you just prayed that prayer, if you just prayed that prayer and you made that response, God has just heard you and God's just done something in your soul. I'd like to pray for anyone who made that response just there. Just while everyone else is praying, if that's you today and you, and you prayed that prayer, whether it's for the first time or whether you were recommitting, and could you just let me know who you are so I can pray for you just by raising your hands. So anyone like that, I'll just wait for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. It's the best decision of your life. So anyone else, before I pray. Thanks, mate. That's brilliant. That's brilliant, mate. Thank you. It's the greatest decision of your life. God has heard your prayers. Anyone else? God, I just pray for my four friends today. In your presence, they've just prayed and they've just accepted you as their savior. And they've just trusted you and they've, and they've declared you as their Lord. And today, thank you that you have heard. And according to the Bible, they're now saved. They now have this gift of eternal life. I pray, let this be the beginning of a great journey in God. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, wow. Let's hear it for these people. Amazing, amazing. Amazing. Best decision of your life forever. God heard you. And listen, this is the beginning of a great journey. And this journey is helped by you being part of a great church like this church. Put your roots down here. Plug in. And uh, maybe Aaron will tell you what to do next in, in your faith at the end. Uh, I think we're going to worship now. Let's stand.